What an amazing service this has been so far. We have heard such beautiful stories from such beautiful people proclaiming their faith in Jesus through baptism. And I would like to tell you one more. Uh, the story can be found in the book of Acts chapter 8. And I want to encourage you to read this story maybe sometime this week on your own or even tonight. We have just seen eight people get baptized today and also share their testimony. And I'm going to retell the story in Acts chapter 8 as our ninth testimony and our ninth baptism. The story starts on the continent of Africa, and there we find a court official, and we're not given his name. We only know his position, okay? The Bible says that he was a eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians. So uh, a eunuch was a castrated male. Okay, now I know that that's making half of us a little uncomfortable right now. Uh, most of the time, eunuchs were former slaves who were forcibly castrated so that they could serve in the royal court. They could be trusted with powerful women, knowing that they would not pursue them sexually. So in the text, we find this eunuch on a return trip home to, back to Ethiopia. And so just to be clear, the main character in this narrative is a black, surgically altered, gender-variant, rich civil servant. And so we meet him on the road from Jerusalem, which means that he had just taken a trip to Jerusalem. This educated official, this man of wealth and reputation, undertook a dangerous and laborious, inconvenient journey of months traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Why? Why would he do this? The Bible's clear. The Ethiopian eunuch was not on business. He was, this was a personal undertaking. This was a pilgrimage. Uh, he has undertaken this journey uh, to worship in Jerusalem. He's traveled some 2,000 miles to Jerusalem. If his entourage would travel 30 miles a day, it would take more than two months to get to Jerusalem. Four months round trip. Okay, it's not a short road trip. Jerusalem's not just down the street. First, they would have to head up north following the White Nile, then connect to the Blue Nile. Uh, they passed through the trade city of Khartoum, and then uh, they bore the winds in the sands of the Nubian Desert, picking up the Great Nile. They followed it to its mouth, and then last, but by certainly no means, they traveled through the Sinai Desert, the Sinai Peninsula, in the wilderness, before finally arriving, sunburnt, dusty, weary, at their final destination, the temple in Jerusalem. They go to worship God. Do you know how he would have been greeted at the temple in the first century were he to enter? They would have locked the doors because in the Bible, the law was clear. A eunuch has no place among the people of God, particularly in the temple, particularly into the presence of God. He could not have been a Jewish convert because he was a eunuch. He would have been excluded from worship. He travels 2,000 miles across desert terrain, and you only to be excluded once he reached the temple. You can't worship God here. And then he's dejected, and he's sitting now in his chariot, heading back to Africa, and then the Bible says that he is reading the Bible. In particular, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So he travels 2,000 miles to, to Jerusalem to worship God. Once there, he's rejected by the religious leaders, by the establishment, uh, because of something that he himself cannot change. 
And instead of saying, well, this God is judgmental. This God is exclusive. This God is uh, hypocritical. No, no, no. This Ethiopian eunuch continues his search and journey for God. And he's reading the scriptures while riding in his chariot back to Ethiopia. See, he doesn't get bitter. He gets better. So he's reading the Bible. And back then, uh, reading was done almost exclusively out loud. There was no silent reading back then. There's no reading to yourself. It was always read out loud. And so he's reading the passages of Scripture found in Isaiah chapter 53, and he's reading it out loud. And he gets to this Scripture, and he's stumped. He doesn't know what it means. Then the Holy Spirit of God moves a man, Philip the evangelist, to go and stand next to the chariot. And he does. Philip responds. He runs towards that chariot. When the Spirit moves in our lives, we should run and move and go where he tells us to go. So he stands next to the chariot and Philip strikes up a conversation with this Ethiopian eunuch. And he begins with a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And so then he invites Philip into his chariot and he shows him the scripture that stumps him. And this was the passage he read. Isaiah 53, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Ethiopian eunuch asks, who is the prophet talking about? I don't get it. And then starting with that very passage of scripture, Philip the evangelist begins to tell this African official the good news of Jesus. I can't help but wonder that as Philip started with Isaiah 53, this passage uh, of scripture about Jesus bearing the injustice, bearing our punishment, though he himself was innocent. I can't help but think that Philip, after visiting Isaiah 53, he just goes over a couple chapters to Isaiah 56, where this passage of scripture would for sure speak to this guy's soul. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and who hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 5. Wow. After going to the temple, after traveling 2,000 miles to worship this God and only to be shunned and pushed away, then God sends someone to stand next to the chariot and he shows him these passages of scripture explaining God's heart that he sent Jesus because he loves us and that the, even a eunuch will be given within his temple and its walls a memorial, a name better than sons and daughters. What a beautiful promise. What a, what a beautiful promise of inclusion when all he had been shown was exclusion his whole life. Imagine you are a child taken from home and from your parents, taken to another country. Men held you down. They operated on you as you lay there frozen with fear. You felt searing pain 
from the castration and the long recovery. You grew up, but you never experienced puberty. As other boys matured, you did not change in the same ways. You began your work in the royal court. You longed to be in a family again. You longed to even have your own children, but you were busy and you were unable to. Non-eunuchs in the court respected and mocked you all at the same time. They envied your elevated status, your privileged status, because you could be close to the queen. But they jeered you for being less than a man. You felt rejected and alone. You were sick and you, were, you grew fragile because you lacked the testosterone uh, in your own body. Your bones grew brittle. Your heart grew bitter. Then as an adult, you have this unsettling in your heart, this, this unsettling in your life and in your spirit, and you long to find the truth of God, a God who loves you, but it seems too good to be true, but you traverse 2,000 miles to seek this God, but you're rejected by his people at the temple. You assume that this God must not be concerned with, it, with damaged goods like you. But then, in your chariot, on your ride back home, God leads you to a passage and to a person. God uses someone to show you a scripture that declares that your name is better than a son or a daughter. And you know what happens next in the story? It's my favorite part. They pass by some water on the side of the road. And you know what? This black, surgically altered, gender-variant, rich civil servant says... Look, there's some water. What can stand in the way of me getting baptized? And so he orders the chariot to pull over and Philip baptizes him on the side of the road in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that this nameless, effeminate foreigner from a racial minority returned home rejoicing. Rejoicing. You would too. Your whole life you've been an outcast. You've been different. You weren't seen as normal. And now you see that the God who knit you together in your mother's womb has come to earth in the form of Jesus and defeated the powers of sin and death. And there is love and grace and sonship found in Jesus Christ. Now, this was the very first baptized believer in the early church. I wonder what happens when someone who looks like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 walks into our churches today, 2,000 years later. Do they too go home rejoicing? I pray that it would be so. Would you join me in praying that? God, we pray in Jesus' name that no matter who they are, who, who anybody is who comes to our church, that they would leave rejoicing, having encountered a God who truly loves them. And so God, forgive us for the ways in which we have been a, an exclusive community. Forgive us for the ways in which we have been a country club for the well instead of a, a hospital for the sick. God, forgive us for the ways in which we become a Christian clique instead of an open arms community focused in on loving God and loving others. God, let us go beyond church walls 
to love everyone always. In Jesus' name, amen.